Welcome back, everybody, as we get going here on a Thursday afternoon. I guess they call it Blizzard 2022. Let me tell you something. I know some areas got hit, and I do, and I did hear about that. But where I lived, Blizzard 22 was a light dusting. That's all it was. Um, there was there was no. I mean, I woke up this morning. My grass still looked like grass. It wasn't covered in snow. The roads were fine. So I guess certain parts of the city were hit much, much harder than others. And over by the Franklin area, please, um, I still can't for the life of me figure out, and I guess it's only because EPISD is trying to operate as a district, as a whole, instead of individual schools. But there was absolutely no reason whatsoever why schools over there by that area couldn't have had school today. But I guess it's all about everybody and making sure that um, if you close one, you close them all. And that's kind of how things worked out today. But for those of you that did get snow, you were lucky. You're fortunate, and I'm happy and proud of you because we didn't see much of it today. And now when the sun came out and everything started melting, it's like nothing was even there. But, you know, that's just uh, the way things work sometimes as we get started here on a Thursday afternoon and we talked about it yesterday. Signing day for 2022. Uh, UTEP added 15 new players. We did not get a chance to have head coach Dana Dimmel on yesterday because we were going to get him on today instead right here in our Lubingo studios. And coach has uh, been kind enough to come by and spend the first hour of the show with us. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. And uh, hopefully uh, you had a chance to see some snow this morning, coach. Yeah, it was nice. It brought back some good memories for me, Cap. You know, I have a lot of memories with snow and the places I've worked in my career. So it was neat. And uh, you know what was really fun is we had the guys out there working out this morning on the snow uh, at the stadium, you know, at the practice field. It was snow covered, and we had the guys out there working at uh, 7.15 this morning, and they did a great job with it, and I thought it it showed some of the intestinal fortitude of our football team. But one of the guys, one of our players uh, that's on our team from Northern Cal, he's like, Coach, this is beautiful when it snows here. I wish we'd get some more snow. So he really was enjoying it. How deep uh, was the snow over there by Glory Field? It was completely covered. Yeah, oh, it completely was. covered. Yeah, the whole field was completely covered. So we um, and you they, practiced in it. They they go ahead and got their workouts in it. That so it sounds really like cool. fun. I wanted, I wanted to get it on film because it's really a pretty cool sight to see the miners out there working in the snow this morning. You never get to see that. Did no, anybody on the video team get a chance to maybe take some videos? I told of one of our our coaches to get out there and get the twelve thirty group and get that film. So hopefully we got that now. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Um, congratulations on signing day for you. You added uh, 15 to your first class of seven. So you total up with uh, 22. And again, you know, I, I listened to the press conference yesterday, heard you talk about the group and, and, and about everybody you added. But it seems like uh, as far as this year goes, a lot of players that have the ability to come in and help right away. And even though you didn't lose a ton from last season, it's always nice to have reinforcements, right? It is. And that's what I wanted to do is it, the, how I sum it all up, Cap, is that we're putting good on good now, you know, and that's a good feeling as a coach when you're doing that. And so, but you can never take anything for granted as far as that goes. And so I wanted to make sure that we were still, you know, filling our voided spots first. That was my first ambition of the recruiting class is to get those spots filled. And I thought we did a, a really good job with that. You know, obviously we know the pieces that we lost last year and we had to fill those pieces. And so I feel really comfortable uh, that we did that. But the big thing I thought, as you look at the class, you see 14 junior college players, and I made note of that yesterday. Ten of them have three 
plus years of eligibility left, right? Mm-hmm. Three maybe with a red shirt left. And so with that being said, these guys are JUCO players, but like we've always said, how much better do they get from year one to year two? And then now we're going to get to see with some of our guys that have been with us two years, how much better they're going to get year two to year three. The Kelton Mosses, mm-hmm. Keenan Stewart's, Dennis Barnes, those guys. And so I feel like these guys are going to be in that same mode. You know what's interesting, too? You have an impossible recruiting class to grade, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you go so heavy to JUCOs, and you said 14 of your 22 are junior college players. There is no major recruiting service in the country that does justice to junior college talent like you do to high school talent. And if you gauge 247 sports as the best of the group, they don't go deep in terms of junior college positional players. They usually go, if you're lucky, 15 to 20 deep, period. So... In other words, you grab all these junior college players, but a lot of these recruiting services don't have any grades on them because they, they're so shallow in what they evaluate as far as JUCOs. It's impossible to tell what a lot of these players are going to be now and what they could turn into down the road. So because you're so much heavier JUCO than a lot of other schools, it's easy grading out the high school kids because they're already in the databases. But junior college are a little different. When I was checking this morning, I saw there was only like five or six players that had grades. I said, well, you have you have 15 in the class. How can you possibly see in an evaluation that only six of 15 could, 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 get an eva- could, could get a grade because they don't have junior college scouted like they have high school players? No, they don't. And for us, it's just we've known this. what we do. It's how we roll. We know the junior college market, and we have a really good feel for it. And I think for us, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, look at the junior college players that we have on our roster now and what they've been able to do, and I think it's caught national attention. And we mm-hmm. saw it some – this year, Cap, we had to be really careful about how we managed our recruiting because we would be on diamonds in the rough, right, type of guys. And then we had to be really careful about offering them because we had, uh, I don't know how many instances this uh, recruiting year that when we would offer a guy, there'd be the very next day he'd get three offers from schools within four-hour radius of them that hadn't even talked to him, right? And immediately they wouldn't even have seen him yet and they would offer him. And so we have to be really careful because our reputation in high school is is really growing with our recruiting, but our reputation in the junior college market is like, I mean, people really take notice to what we've done and the kind of talent we've been able to get into the program. That was your bread and butter at K-State. A lot of junior college recruiting for Bill Snyder. Absolutely. And it's just, it's, uh, if you do your research and, and you pay attention and you have the type of resources that we have as far as coaches that we've been knowing for, our, for quite a long time, you're able to get the type of players that can really help a program. And so we feel very comfortable. I, f- I feel so good about this class. I mean, I know everybody does, but, you know, it, it's kind of proven the trajectory of where we've got this program going. And this class just adds power on power. And it's just fun to, to be able to go out. And, you know, I went out and watched our team work out last Friday morning at our 715 competition Friday workouts. And I'm like, you know, this team's got a chance to be a pretty darn good football team. And now we've added all this talent on top of it as well. And you like guys that can come in here and, and practice immediately. You don't have to wait till the summer to get them or the fall. You you want guys that can come in right now so when the spring hits, they're already ready to go. It's huge and it's hard. You know, one of the hardest things that I've always found in, in, in junior college recruiting is getting the mid-year transfers. It seems like the mid-year transfers are so heavily recruited because of just what you said. Everybody wants to get those guys in and get them through the whole winter conditioning because the winter conditioning is where you build the character of your 
your players, right? Yep. And then obviously you got the spring ball emphasis as well where they really learn the system and learn the X's and O's part of it. And so for us to be able to bring in 11 guys this year that were mid-year transfers, that was the most I think I can ever remember uh, being a part of in a program. And, and now you get to see them and you get to see them work out. And the other thing that's nice about that that people might not think about is I went out and watched those guys work out the last two weeks of recruiting. So now I can see the pieces of the puzzle that we got already in the program. And now I could go try to put the finishing touches on what we needed based on what I was able to see in the first couple of weeks of, of winter conditioning. As far as players you targeted and players you signed, what would you say is your success rate when you first really start to put your attention towards a recruit and, and start to zero in on that individual? What would you say is you, is your closing rate in terms of uh, getting them uh, to sign on the dotted line? Yeah, I think this year, you know, I would say that if you look back and, and we just kind of went through and evaluated, I was talking to, to Winston about it uh, just this morning, is that we probably had five guys that got away that were really good players, right? So we got 22 and probably had five or six that got away that we thought were, were, were very, very good players. So if you can shoot that kind of percentage, you're shooting pretty darn good, you know? So, of course, you, you, you cry over the spilled milk, right? You worry about the five or six that got away, right? That's, yeah. how, that's how human behavior is. It's like, God, what if we would have got hit this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy? But we wouldn't have been able to get this guy, this guy, this guy if we got those guys, right? Because you only have so many scholarships. So we went back and said, okay, we missed out on this guy. You know, somebody came in and st- that wasn't on him at all and snatched him away from us at the last minute because they, they were it was three hours from his house and they drove a car down to pick him up and and all these things so but then we turned around and replaced that guy with a guy we feel like might be probably even better and so you know that's just how it goes but so when we just evaluate the whole class we feel like we we really, you know, did some really, really positive things to help our program. So Adrian wrote a terrific piece on your uh, recruiting class yesterday and today. And today he did takeaways, biggest takeaways uh, from recruiting. And one of the things I loved about what he wrote is that rankings don't matter to this staff. And that, and that's important because there are some programs where you have to rate top three, top four in your conference, or your fan base is going to be upset and ultimately they're going to go down on the program. But since you've been here, you've never been a top two, top three overall uh, recruiting class in Conference USA, and it's obvious to me that that's never really been your intention from day one. If it happens, great, but that's not what you set out to every year, is it? No, it's not, and it just it's the nature of the beast. You know, when we were at Kansas State, we were never going to have the top recruiting ever, right? And then people would, you know, we'd go year after year after year and we were never in even close to the top half of recruiting in the Big 12 yet we would always finish top half or or upper upper half right and so to me that is recruiting services they are what they are right if the guy's rated high he's rated high I'm not going to get into all that I mean I've been doing it way too long to let someone else make decisions to tell me how good of a player is I you know what I mean I don't need anybody else to tell me how good of a player a guy is I mean we've been doing it a long time probably a lot longer than the guys that are giving the rankings to these guys now, I'm not saying we don't try to, if he's highly ranked, we're going to try to recruit him. That's not the point. But but the point is, it's been proven with our programs that we've been involved in, you know, the kind of recruiting we can do. Now, it doesn't mean uh, you're not afraid to go after the big guys. It's just you'll go after them if you think they're good players. 
I just think it's interesting where you could have one guy sign with UTEP and be a two-star prospect, but if that same guy signs with a Power Five, he turns into a four-star prospect, oh, which yeah. which tells you what what a joke the recruiting services are to begin with because they actually will grade rate a player based on the school they sign with. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Uh, absolutely. You know. And uh, Jacob Kyen was a two-star prospect, right? I mean, yeah. the, just the stories. And then when he came out, when he's in the portal, he was a four-star prospect, right? But you knew when you first got him. You knew he was a four-star prospect from to begin with because you had heard so many great things about him. You had an idea that you had just picked up a diamond in the rough. Right, yeah. And I, what do you think praise was? Well, how many stars do you think praise was? I, I know, maybe two. Was praise right. two or was he none? Yeah, it was a two-star. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. yeah. So, I mean, it just goes on and on. So sure, sure. We're not concerned about that. We're concerned about what how, how these guys produce. And I think I think we've proven that we're recruiting at a pretty good level right now. I'm with you on that one. Adrian, I'll give you a chance to get in because I know, as we talked about, your big signing day takeaways up right now at 600ESPNLPaso.com. Hey, Coach, I, I just uh, really, uh, you know, I asked you this earlier this week, but I just wanted to expand on it a little bit more. The pipelines that you've created uh, with uh, some of the junior colleges, I'll yes. just reel off a couple where we've seen now uh, some players who are on the current roster and then you signed here in 2022. Kilgore College, Tyler Junior College, Cerritos College, Sierra, you have Long Beach City College, out in Cali, yep. Blinn College, and then Sacramento City College. Some great relationships. That's six junior colleges with great relationships yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. And American River, too, is, good, is uh, one we got a good uh, relationship established with with John Osterhout out there. We just feel like that uh, these coaches we've known for a long time, and they really appreciate what we're doing with this program, and they're proud of what they've helped us do because they're the reasons that we've done it. And now as they continue to see their guys, you know, you go into the these um, – uh, junior colleges and our pictures players are all up over the wall. You know, they're all over the walls up there, right? And that's fun because now the guys that are playing at those programs, they're looking at guys with UTEP jerseys on on the pictures in the wall. And so that's really helping our recruiting. And then you got the same guys that might have been, you know, 15 years ago, they might have been in another junior college in Texas when I was recruiting for Kansas State or Arizona and getting guys out of there. And now, you know, they're still in the same spots, but some of them then were coordinators and assistants. And now, so, you know, quite a few of them are head coaches or coordinators as they moved up through the pipeline. More with Coach Dana Dibble here uh, in hour number one. In fact, if you've got a question uh, for Coach Dibble, now's the time to get in. You can do it one of three ways. 880-5763 on the phones, 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, or you can always chime in on our free mobile app and chat with us during the program. First, though, let's go to Charlie Wan. He's standing by and has this traffic update for us. Charlie, how are we doing here on a Thursday? Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. UTEP head football coach Dana Dimmel with us right now in our 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios. If you want to get in, have a question for the coach, you can uh, get it to us on the phones right now, 880-5763, Twitter, 600 ESPN El Paso, or our uh, free mobile app powered by United Bank. Ed McDonald tweets the show. Coach Dimmel, great job this past season. Thank you so much. Here's my question. Are some of the players on special teams players that you recruited that are not part of your starting rotation, or are they players that you specifically got for special teams? Oh, wow. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. We're not afraid to take some guys just for special teams to answer that question, because that's really, really a good one. Um, and mostly we're looking at guys as we evaluate them and saying, okay, we want them to be able to help us on our 22, right, in our top 22. But we're also saying on the other flip side of it, hey, think what this guy's going to bring in the special teams part of what he does. And it's funny, this morning uh, when I was leaving Starbucks, I was thinking about a couple guys, and I'm like, you know, we got to – 
uh, this morning sit down and, and, and start putting in my mind what our what our scout team, our, our depth chart is going to look like for our special teams because that's such a huge part of what we do and uh, it's a huge part of how we recruit because we want guys to have that versatility. But a guy like Marcus Bellin that we signed with all those kick return and punt returns, you know, he's a guy that we think can be a really good slot for us, but he, we also took him because we think he can really help our skill positions of our return game. As far as special teams itself, that's probably the one spot that you could honestly say after last season needs the most improvement. There's no doubt. Uh, what specific parts of special teams did you try to address just to know that, or do you feel like you'll have different guys in place this season that could ultimately change uh, special teams around for you? Well, you know, we had been so good in kickoff return until last year, and then last year we really took some steps back in our in our kickoff return, and, and uh, we really couldn't quite find the right return guy. And then Tyron Smith start, did it in the last game against Fresno and really shined and did some neat stuff with it, and we feel like, you know, Marcus can help us there. But just overall, our special teams play was nowhere near where I would like it to be um, you know and in, in all fairness to, to Aaron Price he got the job in late May early June right so we have to take that you know Joe retired in May and so by the time Aaron got here it was late June and he didn't get to run any of his drills through spring and those things and so yeah. that's something that we're definitely now knowing that we got to get a lot of fundamental work you know it's going to be a big spring for our special teams units uh, but we feel like we've gotten a lot more athletic as a football team and when you become more athletic and we feel like we've got more football IQ, uh, those are the two things we're really trying to recruit. If you're more athletic and you have good football IQ, that should help our special teams to get better. But again, reiterating, that's something that I definitely feel like we need to, to make a big stride in this year. Who do you uh, look to target for your punt return game? Who would you like to have that? I think that, again, is going to be Marcus you know, Bell, and I think we got another uh, – running back that redshirted last year, Cartraven uh, Walker, that I think has got a chance to be really good, uh, that we didn't play last year. He's got a chance to be a good a good punt returner for us as well. So, And again, we'll, we're going to addition some more guys as we go through spring. Of the 15 that you signed yesterday, how many do you think have a legitimate shot to be uh, to, to crack the two deep this yeah, up season, um, this coming season? Yeah, I mean, again, I think we tried to, to recruit a heavy amount of guys that could crack the two deep. I mean, I'll give a prime example. Amir Boyd is this outstanding uh, defensive back from Mountain Point in, in Arizona. And as we're looking, one of the areas, Steve, we said we need to definitely fill is corner, right? Because we lost two corners, right? We lost two corners uh, out of our three-man corner rotation. And so we're looking at Amir, and his film is so good that we're saying, okay, here's a high school guy, but we, we're taking him maybe to be one of our top, you know, in our rotation at corner not a, not necessarily a starter but maybe in our rotation so those were some of the decisions so basically as I answer that question there's probably only two guys in the class of uh, that we signed yesterday that won't have a great chance to really battle for getting in our two deep there's only two of those guys that the two young offensive linemen two of the offensive linemen that were high school guys yeah. they're they're the guys that we said okay we're going to bring them in so we got them you know not we're going to redshirt them next year and the year after that they're going to be you know we feel like they'll be ready to play for us because we don't lose we only lose um uh i think one more offensive lineman this year off of our off our whole offensive line group, you know, which is crazy. You know, we got all those guys coming back, and Zuri's the only guy. Zuri and Merv, who's uh, done a really good job for us. So we lose two guys that are that off our whole 16-depth uh, uh, O-line. So we felt like it was important to get some young guys. So to answer that question, all of them have a chance. 
Other than Josiah Allen, who you signed in December as a defensive back, every other defensive back that you brought in this year is either 6'1 or 6'2. Right. And I can't remember the last time UTEP's DBs were all in that 6'1, 6'2 range. So it shows me that you want size, you want physicality, and that's important because the days of 5'9, 5'10 defensive backs are kind of going by the wayside because you got to go up against 6'3. Three, six, four, six, five receivers. Right, you do, and it and it's important for us. And we felt like we got some really good length. We we really like some of our taller corners. Uh, they're both four for three guys too, so they're both got three years of eligibility. You know, three years of playing eligibility, four years of eligibility to play, and they're they're going to be guys that are going to get better and better because they're big, long, young bodies, and it's going to be fun to see them progress. But just and that's a great note. But going back to that. Cap, one of the guys I think is going to be super special for us is Josiah Allen. Mm-hmm. I've been watching that guy work out, and he's staying step for step with Dennis Barnes, you know, as far as quickness and yeah. speed already in our workouts, and yet he's got this physicalness and intelligence to him. And I just got done with my academic report, and he has four 100% grades right now. Uh, before I stepped in, I was out in the parking lot doing our academic update. So he's getting 100% in all four of his classes. So I think he's going to be really special for us. That is absolutely huge, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's going to be gigantic. Adrian? Let's uh, go back to you. Coach, I wanted to ask you about the wide receiver position. How much of an emphasis was that this offseason in recruiting? And I know you also bring back uh, Jeremiah Ballard, who's somebody you, you didn't get a sh- to showcase necessarily, but you all, as a coaching staff, spoke very highly of. Yeah, and um, we think Jeremiah is going to be, you know, really, really a good player for us. He's a guy we're looking to do special things, and he's you know, big. I mean, he's a, he's a big receiver and athletic and he covers a lot of ground. And, and we felt like he was somebody to really, that people haven't seen yet, but Justin Clark's another one that we brought uh, last year from the junior college ranks that was really coming on at the end of spring. And he's another six, two type of receiver to, to add to that core. And then we moved to Sean Trotter over who was a big corner for us, but we felt like his real upside was receiver and he's six, one or six, two out there on the edge. And and then, um, you know, Kelly Akari was the one, the leading receiver in the run and shoot stuff at Tyler. And he's big and strong and, and, and very explosive. So he's here working out now and doing a really nice job for us. He was another mid-year transfer. And then we found a guy late at Sierra College, as y'all were mentioning. And uh, he, he's a guy that, uh, you know, his coach had put together a workout tape on him. And when you saw his workout tape and saw the way he runs routes, he's a big guy. He's built like JG, real strong and wide shoulders. And he weighed 195 on his visit. And his his individual workout tapes, which a lot of people didn't have access to, were just outstanding. And a great young guy came in. So I think uh, and then, you know, we talked about, you know, Marcus Bellin at the slot. Of course, Tyron was really emerging. You watch our highlight tapes. Tyron's a highlight of all of our highlight tapes. And then, you know, Marcus Bellin and, 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 and McNamara, you know, too, as well. And to it, you know, I think those guys. And then uh, we redshirted a, a young man uh, last year. Uh, as well out of the Austin area that we think's got a chance to be, you know, a really special player for us. And Josh Farr is another guy with red shirt. So it's going to be really fun to watch everybody see uh, how our um, receiver position, you know, Amari's the only one that's not here now, but when he gets here in May, he's going to add a ton to it too. But just in spring, we're going to put some pretty talented dudes out there. And it was a big emphasis for us. Absolutely. So, So I think we did good there.
And you had a bunch of guys last year that were all battling and didn't get a chance to really break the opportunity to, to break in. And now they'll have that chance this year with the two slots opening up. That's exactly how it was. We had a lot of guys that were capable, but why why are you going to do anything when you got Jacob and JG there, right? And so it was really fun to see these guys maturing, and we kind of knew what we had. And so really before Jacob had left, I wasn't sure if I was going to sign another receiver. That's how good I felt it. But then we went out and signed three more after Jacob left because I said, we lost Jacob, so now we're going to power load that position because Jacob was going to be Jacob and Tyron were going to be our marquee guys next year. And so, um, you know, when Jacob left, I said, well, let's just power load it and let's just get three more really good ones to, to help replace Jacob. More with Dana Dimmel as we continue here on Sports Talk. Again, if you've got questions, fire them away at us for another half hour while he's here with us in our Lubingo studios. First, right back to Adrian, this Sports Center update. A question came in, and, and it was one that uh, Adrian uh, touched on on our uh, on our website, uh, asking uh, from Joe, what happened with uh, Jake Retzloff, the uh, quarterback prospect from California, uh, who didn't sign with the Miners? Yeah, Jake was a guy that uh, we had targeted, you know, of course, and and um, was targeted to be in the program, and he, you know, he had some academic things that didn't get taken care of at this point, but he's in the process of getting those done right now. So he's still very viable for the program. He's just not here at mid-year, and we didn't feel like we were in a position to to uh, sign him at this point just because our initials were protecting. You know, obviously we're still holding on to a couple initials because of the, you know, the nature of college football right now, and so you don't want to gobble them all up but you know if things work out for him uh you know he's still very viable for our program uh we had the McNamara brothers in our studios yesterday and uh, had a good time with the two of them because they just got to El Paso about a week ago so they're new Jake and Kyle uh Kyle with Western Kentucky last year Jake who had committed to Colorado State before decommitting and then uh coming to UTEP I'll tell you Again, I can't remember the last time you had a pair of brothers that were almost the same age playing different positions that were both UTEP minors, and these two are pretty excited to be here. I know part of this goes back to a relationship now that you have with Jordan Palmer, the former UTEP minor. If you could talk a little bit about the McNamaras and what you kind of expect from them. Yeah, well, of course, uh, you know, starting off with Jake and just that, you know, it's obviously a huge position for you every year uh, in your recruiting is that you got to make sure you got some quarterback uh, talent and so we feel like that Jake's got that ability to you know do a lot of special things and of course Jordan reached out to me about him and uh, obviously a lot of respect Jordan's one of the most respected you know quarterback guys in 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 the in the football world right now and loves UTEP right which is really cool and so that's nice and he's really proud of his alma mater and so it's a neat thing for the UTEP family to have him you know he's a proud member of the UTEP family a proud representative and so he um, reached out to us, and of course, you know, we're going to do our own due diligence, right? Because it's not. We know if Jordan says he's good, he's good. But is he good? Is he good compared to what we, the other guys we've seen, A and B? Does he fit what we're looking for? And so, you know, we did our due diligence on him as well, and he fit. He, you know, he checked every box uh, that you're looking for. His intelligence and is one of his key things for us because of the complexity of our system, A, and then B, his athleticism. You know, he moves his feet well. He can throw on the run well, and then C, he's just 
just got a real live arm, and then he's just a really, really good student of the game. So there's so many positive things. Uh, you know, not only is he intelligent, but he wants to learn more and more. And so we've, we just feel like he's going to be a real plus for us. And then Kyle Fitz, we've had a lot of success with the type of receivers that Kyle is, the guys that are smart and they know how to get open and they got a good knack and good quickness. And both the McNamara boys got real good lower body strength. That's their one of their secret sauces. And when we always evaluate guys, we want to have guys with big, strong, firm legs, and both those guys have that. And so I think Kyle really uses that in his route running ability. And so it's going to be fun having him in and and we know how to use those slot guys like that. We've had a lot of success at Kansas State with slot receivers, and obviously we had a lot of success with Jacob here. So, you know, I think both the guys are going to add a lot to our program. Can we see more guys like Kyle coming in, guys that aren't necessarily part of signing day but still uh, come to UTEP from another school, and ultimately you, do you have room to, to pick up more guys like that? We do, and that's a huge part of what you do. I mean, you got to do your homework, and you got to find guys, and they come in and they, they fill the niches that you need. And so, like I said, we wanted to power load our receiver position, so we felt, we felt like we did. You know, we felt like that – you know, we signed three, but, you know, and, and then, of course, we got Kyle in the program. So we feel like we've added so much talent. And I talked a little bit earlier about Penny Baker, who's a guy that redshirted last year and, and some of the other guys. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really, really good group uh, for us to build off of. And both those guys are going to add a lot of the character and a lot of, you know, a lot of our culture uh, is so gigantic for me. And people say, well, what's culture? Well, culture for, for our program is guys that care about family, care about school, and, and, I, and I ask them a lot of questions about their family when they come on the visits because I feel like if you care about school and you care about family, you're going to care about your teammates, right? And you're going to respect your education and make the most out of your life. So uh, these guys definitely are going to be huge leaders for our program. I know Luke Seib and, and Jake have hit it off, you know, of a couple of the young guys I think are going to provide a lot of leadership uh, for our program in future years. Adrian, let's get back to you before we go to break. Coach, can we see more El Paso products join the team over the offseason, maybe as well? walk-ons or something like that oh of course you know of course you can I mean we're doing our due diligence you know we have uh, a heavy heavy emphasis on trying to find uh, some local talent and trying to make the most out of uh you know bringing guys along because it means so much to them you know and you know that we're in the you know we got into the battle for to, to recruit Aaron Dumas and we wanted Aaron to come back and he really was so excited about playing you know, in El Paso. So I know the kind of pride that there is for these guys. They do want to stay, you know, stay around. But it was just, you know, there was some things with the, you know, with Aaron that, you know, sometimes, you know, they're there now for these Power Five programs that necessarily some of the group of fives can't really match. And so, you know, Aaron made decisions, we believe, for all the right reasons for him. But he was really, he really loves what we're doing here. He was so complimentary uh, of our program when he played against us and how he said how hard our guys play. So I really am wishing him a, a lot of luck in his endeavors, and I know he'll do great. And, uh, we're, you know, we're, so we're always looking to find the talent in the area if we can get it for sure. No doubt. And I know uh, as far as the, the walk-on program goes, sometimes the preferred walk-ons, there's a lot of El Paso kids that uh, – end up taking advantage of that and earn scholarships down the road. Oh, absolutely. And that's the big part of your program. I mean, that's some of the stuff you were making, uh, you know, gestures to earlier, Steve, about bringing guys in that people might not know about that are good players and they might not have a particular offer at the time, but you know they're plenty good enough to be a scholarship guy. And so those are the guys that we're looking for right now. But, you know, of course, there's some good scholarship offer guys next year in El Paso that we've been on for a year and a half now that I think are very, very interested in our program. And, and we're not looking just to walk guys on from El Paso. We're looking to find guys. And, and if they're good enough to scholarship, we're definitely going to, you know, scholarship them. But we're going we're gonna to do it 
based on them being the best player available and not the location of where they're from. You know, it's got to be important that you do that for the integrity of your program. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up with uh, Coach Dana Dibble next. 39 pass. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. 46 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Final 15 minutes with Utah head coach Dana Dimmel. He's with us in our 600 ESPN El Paso Lube and Go Studios. And if you've got any questions, now's the time to get in. Spring ball's right around the corner. Um, we're already now into early February, and I'm assuming uh, you're going to start uh, mid to late March this year, Coach. What's the plan? Yeah, we're starting on March 2nd. So, oh, early yeah, March, yeah, like a month early, away. Yeah, was, yeah, that's what's crazy. It's right here, isn't it nuts? It's, well, I'll it, tell you something else. I don't think I've ever been more excited about a spring practice than this year because I'm so interested to see coming off of last season how spring ball goes because there are definitely going to be job battles on the line, which I think is going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be fun because we're going to have a lot of new guys. New fa- The faces are here, right? We've had 11 new faces in spring that are going to try to compete for spots, and so it's going to be really fun to see these guys get in and learn the system and compete and we'll go, you know, Tuesday and then we'll go start on Tuesday and then go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday after that point with spring break in between there. And we've done it that way because it, it's it, the maximum days that you can have the players for spring practice is 34 days. And so we maximize that. We always go 34 days and it just allows us to be around them more for a longer period of time. So the spring game will be April, Friday, April 8th is when we're going to have our spring ball game. I know you lost one assistant coach and Coach H, who's yep. uh, who's now uh, taking another spot. Is he the only one that really is uh, is not going to be back next no, year? No, we're going to have it. We have another opening that, that, that in our staff, our, our our safeties position, and so we've been uh, working on that. You know, normally after recruiting, you give your staff the Thursday Friday off. You know, and so Coach Pivato was going to go home and and uh, see his family. You know, and. Uh, Obviously, we're, right now, him and I have been, you know, I don't usually, if I'm in town, I'm always at work. So I was there today and watching the workouts and that sort of thing. But we're kind of in the process right now of going through some guys that we have on our list, you know, to, to interview. And so that's what we've been doing. We brought somebody in yesterday for an interview, and then we're going to do a lot more interviews over these next couple of days here. We want to get it done quick yeah. for the same reason you said, Cap, spring ball's right around the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. Meanwhile, I never even knew that there were teams that had two receiver coaches until last year. I had no idea. Is that something that you've been used to, or is that kind of a, a new addition uh, as far as the it's staff a goes? New, it's you know so much of the vernacular of, of how you handle it and how it looks for your resumes. You know, Because really, Theron was our inside receivers coach, but it's really a tight end fullback position. You know? And so Makes for sense. him, because of his resume, you know, I wanted to call it inside receivers because I, I felt like it would help stimulate his resume for him. You know? and, and I'm always in favor of guys leaving if they're leaving for a better job I really am I mean I just the nature of the business so I always want to give our guys a good you know uh, it's a Kansas State thing always give them as much as you can coordinator title or whatever titles Uh, but we've already hired that position we've already uh, replaced coach H's position that person will be here on Monday probably because of uh, you know title non-affirmative action things I can't probably can't say who it is at this point but it's somebody that I know well and been with us before so that's always the thing I'm looking for is somebody I know that knows our system will it be somebody that handles inside receivers like like H or will it be more back to the tight end it'll be more back to the tight end and I'm going to kind of emulate what we did you know Bill Snyder taught me because so many ways in this business I try to emulate what Bill Snyder taught me because he's a Hall of Fame coach and you know, blessed enough to be around the man for 19 years of my coaching career. He always felt like you should have two guys that know your offensive line because if you ever lose your offensive line coach, you don't want to take major – that's one of the positions you don't want to have a huge uh, – 
discrepancy in as far as making the transition because it's such an important position. And so I'm a huge fan of what Mike Simmons has done with our offensive line. I think he does a great job with them. But if Mike ever gets a better job opportunity, now I feel like the position that we've hired, you know, this person played O-line for us. Um, at Kansas State, he plays a, a graduate assistant for us. He was a quality control coach for us, and then he's gone off and been a line coach other places. And so he really knows the system and just fits in, and and uh, is, it will be a nice addition. It's nice that you have the, the the family of coaches going through that you can always just kind of pluck one in that that you know just maybe never been to UTEP with you, but you obviously know from all your years at K State. See, that's a thing that that I feel like is a real plus for us. You know, I came from a system that's been very very successful, and so we have a lot of roots. You know, you're not having to pick and pick away, you know, because you never were anywhere that had a lot of success for an extended period of time, like like we have, you know. And so it's our, our tree is very broad and very expansive, but it's a tree that has a system to it. You're just not grab-bagging for your assistant coaches most of the time. Adrian, let's get back to you. 51 past the hour here. Coach, uh, going back to offense alignment and speaking of uh, the signing class, what what did you? What are uh, some things that Aluma brings to the table at <laughs> six foot eight, three hundred ninety seven pounds? Uh, he's gonna be fantastic, guys. I mean, it, uh, it, I really d- have never seen anybody that size move like he does. I just have not seen it. It's crazy, and he's been in our workouts now, so he's out there moving around, and he's just gonna be really special. And he's a four He's got all A's coming in and that's neat too and he's just a really really pleasant guy to be around but he could be really special and he's gonna be hard to keep out of the lineup guys I mean by the time he gets you know we talked about that today too what's he probably got to get to to be the best player maybe 370 but isn't that funny he's gonna be 370 and be at his ultimate weight yeah (laughs) which is crazy it is crazy speaking of crazy I love this name logo logo that's that's the greatest name ever (laughs) and he's another one sick he's a 6'4 302 pound high school interior defensive lineman that's terrific I'm so excited about logo because he he can run and move I mean you guys have seen it we just kept watching over again, and then when when uh, the coaches met him, and then I got to to see his body in person. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's 302 pounds, and he just turned 18 years old. He's gonna be, you know, really player. But the story behind that is Thomas Lash, who played for us here. Um, his dad uh, is is actually a, a very successful uh, construction owner in in Southern Cal, and so what he what he has done is he has, um, you know, um, been around these young men that are all come from, you know, because Logo and Sam are on the same team. They were both born in Samoa, and they came over, and they live, 16 of them live in a five-bedroom house and uh, are all, both those guys are three-plus students, and they came over to our to America to be successful, and wow. now these guys are getting a way to get their college education furthered, but it's really a nice little thing that uh, I think it's going to continue to bring a lot of talent to UTEP football. Sounds to me like if you've got 16 living in six bedrooms, that the, the pipeline is going to be kill is going to be coming through the next few years. Oh yeah, it's going to be. It's it's. I like it's, that. It's neat. It's really a nice thing, and these guys are some special players. I'm really excited about those two guys getting into our program. How about Wilton Buzz Flabiano, <laughs> the kicker? Yes, yes, athletic, right? And um, great personality. Really, really strong leg. You know, he's kicked some 50, couple 59 yarders and. Um, Really powerful, but you can see it with his body type. And so, again, you can't ever not, as someone mentioned earlier, you got to put a lot of emphasis in your special teams. And so we think Buzz, I love the name Buzz, right? It reminds I me of Buzz, Buzz Capra, right? You guys remember Buzz Capra? 
No. No, I stumped no, you. No. The pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, Buzz Capra. So, uh, no, I don't. Yeah, the That's last not good. I'm a baseball yeah. guy, too. <laughs> I know. I, like I love it. I thought I wouldn't stump you with that. But uh, Buzz Flaviano, the next good buzz. All right. Good deal. <laughs> we got a buzz across the hall, Buzz Adams, but that's all right. And, of course, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, spring ball's right around the corner. It's sure. going to start um, March 2nd, so just about a month away. A lot of great battles. That's going to be fun. Do we know who's wearing the new number two yet for yes. uh, Luke Laufenberg? Yes, we do. It's going to be some that everybody's very familiar with, Gavin Hardison, is going to wear the number two. Look so at I that. That's of a awesome. guy to do that and uh, really proud of that fact. And spent a long time today talking to Babe. Babe and I had a good long conversation today. It was good uh, catching up with him. So he's been so helpful. And I said, I guess that article was out there about Troy. Mm-hmm. You know, Aikman and Troy really gave a good shout out to our program too about how he follows the minors now and you know, Troy's given us twenty thousand dollars for our nutrition center. He, he said money, but it's not. It hasn't been penny change. It's been twenty grand that he's given to our nutrition center. So it's nice the way that Bay's been able to cultivate some of those Dallas celebrities. Dirk Nowitzki's given us a lot of money for it. Roger Staubach. I mean, it's really some cool stuff. That is very cool. And yeah. by the way, I think it's cool that you've got uh, a quarterback wearing a Laufenberg uh, name on the back. That's pretty cool, obviously, considering yeah. Babe and, and what he did all those yeah, years it's at gonna QB. Be, it's going to be neat. And, uh, you know, of course, no one cares more about UTEP football than, than Babe, and no one cares more about it than Gavin. Those two guys are some great people. Fantastic. Listen, it's been a fast hour, as it always is. Great to see you. Thanks for the time, and uh, let's get a chance to have you back on during spring ball. We can come down and watch this team work out, because we're ready. You know, Cap, I always love talking about the Miners. I'll talk football anytime you guys have me on, so thanks for having me on. Who's your pick a week from Sunday, Bengals or Rams? Well, I'm going to root for the Bengals, because Joe's dad, Jimmy, and I are real good friends, and Jimmy tried to get me to recruit Joe at Kansas State, and then I was starting to take a look on him, and then Ohio State offered, and so then they weren't as much interested in Kansas as a state anymore. Oh, man. Imagine if Joe Burrow would have been to K-State, yeah. what would have happened? Yeah. Unbelievable. I know, crazy. But uh, J- his daddy was a real physical defensive back in college football, so that's where Joe gets his toughness from. I love that. Yeah, it's Coach, great to see you. Thanks yeah, again. Good seeing you guys. Thanks. Dana Dimmel, folks, coming back with Hour 2. More phone calls, more tweets. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. He's wearing, like, a, like basically, like, Short sleeves, okay, so he doesn't have easy he's, he's got like a tank on and he's wearing UTEP shorts. How cool is that? He's got these navy blue UTEP shorts on. Yeah, it's way cool. That video is awesome. And he even says in that video, he's like, It's a little hot. I think I'm gonna take off my shirt. And so he's like doing drills, like pass drills with the quarterback that he's training out there. Uh, I guess in the DFW area. I love that video. Seems like they got a lot of snow as well. And uh yeah, no days off if you're bla- babe Laufenberg. Man, none at all. All right, good stuff. By the way, I'm happy. We we learned a few things today from Dana Dimmel on the show. We always do. We always learn a few things whenever we can get uh, UTEP head football coach Dana Dimmel on the program. You know that? Yeah, and two uh, significant uh, nuggets right there in coaching changes. You're talking about two assistants on both the offensive and the defensive side uh, will not be returning. Also interesting to note because um, some were questioning, Steve, over the offseason, is Aaron Price's job in jeopardy as special teams coordinator after the – you know, two rough outings, but Dana Dimmel, he defended uh, the, uh, his uh, special teams assistant coach, said that he joined a little late. Let's see how he does in a full calendar year and how he retools this offseason. I'm interested in that too because he's, he's he gave him a pass, just realizing that you didn't have a full you didn't have a full season of work, and it's like you come in late in the summer. It's almost it's a very difficult thing to to just jump in as special teams coach and then get things uh, get get things that that ultimately could be worked into the uh, the game plan. 
It seems like this coaching staff, you know, and, and Dana Dimmel, they're, they, they are all about their coaches. The coaches that they have in place, they want to defend them. They want to get them to their next job. Like, they're on eight, uh, Atch, who ended up as an yep. offensive coordinator now uh, in the sport right now. So you're seeing these coaches use UTEP in some regard, if they're assistants, as a, a path to another job. And then for others, they're, they're going to stay here. They, they want to be fixtures here at UTEP. So it's just about getting the best out of them. No doubt. And, and I think that's... That's the key. And it also goes to show you that obviously we, we know how likable Aaron Price is, uh, not just uh, you know, as a coach, but as a, uh, as a person. And obviously has that kind of an effect on uh, Dana Dimmore. He wants to give him an opportunity to spend a full year here and then really decide uh, you know, how things can go. I also think, you know, when we're, we're talking about the future of this staff, I, I think you he left a little breadcrumbs there, Steve, because Mike Simmons, the offensive line coach, he stepped it up this past year. The pass protection was great for the minors. You never really saw them uh, take a lot, uh, Gavin Hardison take a lot of sacks in games. Maybe he is a highly coveted coach down the line. So maybe he needs to kind of get the, that next coach in place for the offensive line job. Well, you already heard that uh, the new tight ends coach will be starting Monday. Couldn't give us his name yet, but he said he's already in place, already hired. So he's coming in on Monday, and hopefully they get the safeties coach uh, in the next couple of weeks so that by the time uh, spring ball starts, they'll already have uh, their, their new safeties coach in place and ready to go. And chances are, based on the conversation we just had last hour, it sounds to me like Coach Dimmel's going to give Coach Pivato an opportunity to really help hire that safeties coach from his relationships because ultimately that's the man he's going to be working clo- most closely under anyway. Yeah, and if I was Dan Dimmel, I would definitely uh, trust the judgment of of Bradley Dale Pivato, whose defense was awesome this past year for the Miners, took a big step forward, uh, saw a lot of guys develop and grow in their development. Yeah, this uh, UTEP defense, if it could replicate what it did back in 2021, uh, the future looks bright. 880-5763, that is our telephone number as we get started here in Hour 2 of the program. By the way, I'm also very excited that um, you know spring ball is going to start on March the 2nd. That is great news because... I'll be the first to tell you, I, I plan on uh, trying to play a little hooky from work over these uh, first couple of weeks in March and getting a chance to spend an hour or two out at the football field uh, each time and, and watch this team work out. I am very, very interested in UTEP spring ball. Yeah, I think that this is a pivotal year for the offseason. I mean, do the UTEPs, uh, do the UTEP football team uh, continue their success this year, and can they sustain that success? That's the biggest two questions kind of going into this one. Um, we've seen in years past, Steve, when UTEP has a successful season. Sometimes that next year is a little bit of that slump. That's where they kind of take the slump. So this is a huge offseason for this team to see the new faces come in, try to secure the starting job, and see how they can get some wins under their belt. And the fact that they signed 14 players yesterday and all but two have a legitimate shot to play in 2022 speaks volumes for what uh, they were looking for in terms of trying to get uh, you know get get guys ready to go and make an immediate impact yeah and and you also heard the challenges from Dana Dimmel that was also real interesting to hear from last hour in regards to the recruiting he said that some guys they would go after who were kind of diamonds in the rough and then everybody would jump all over them I actually found two uh, examples of that uh, which I listed in my story but that's really interesting kind of different teams poaching these kids once UTEP goes in and offers them yeah it is interesting and yet not surprised because again UTEP's got a reputation right now for going after players especially from the junior college ranks and once UTEP's on them then all of a sudden everybody else wants to get on them because they realize well the Myers are doing really well recruiting junior college talent they must know something we don't 
Yeah, and I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, Brighton Thompson, we talked about him last hour. He's a DN from Blinn College. He was supposed to be a package deal along with Kagan Roach. So Kagan Roach comes to visit UTEP on January 30th. He posts a picture about his official visit to El Paso, and he was offered a couple days earlier by the Miners, and no one else really jumped on him. Well, later that same day, Steve, same exact day, North Texas swoops in, they offer him, and he commits the very next day. Really? Yes. Wow. All right. And they probably had no idea. Exactly. This is somebody who was from Salina, Texas. And uh, yeah, exactly. He, he uh, wants to, I guess, stay a little closer to home. And he selects the mean green instead of the minors. That's a tough. I mean, again, that is a tough, tough thing to deal with. But what are you going to do? That's just, hey, that's that's recruiting and what it comes down to. And it's a shame that sometimes other programs will piggyback off of UTEP and ultimately kids might decide to stay uh, you know, closer to home than, than come to El Paso, but there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, how the tides have turned, though. I mean, these uh, coaches in years past wouldn't even look at UTEP prospects or recruits. Now they're trying to steal them away. Interesting. Really, really interesting. 880-5763, that is our telephone number as we continue here on Sports Talk. Miners were supposed to play the Mean Green in less than an hour, but... Because of the weather, that game was moved to Monday. So Monday, uh, 6 o'clock, the game tips off. Our coverage starts at 5.30 on Monday. Tonight, we'll give you the women's game. So you'll get UTEP against uh, North Texas with Mondo the Monster Medina calling the action at 7 o'clock. And he'll join us during our final countdown from the Haskins Center. But, um, again, being flexible with the schedule because you have to be flexible because of all the changes we're seeing made right now around uh, around college sports. Yeah, and, and this means a lot of scheduling changes for the men's team because they've got that Saturday-Monday format now. I know in a couple weeks uh, here late in February, they also have a random Monday game against Middle Tennessee, which that game was rescheduled from January. So yeah, just a lot of uh, uh, mixed-up schedules here as, as they close out the conference season. Absolutely. If you want to talk about it with us, we'd love to get it going 880-5763 our telephone number if you want to talk uh, UTEP football UTEP basketball or anything uh, for that matter Um, I did bring up the ratings because to me Adrian uh, it really does disturb me a little bit because obviously you you know coach said it uh, they are definitely not worried about you know rankings and 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 ratings and all that stuff they're more worried about what fits their profile and that's what they really want to go with and i'm going to give you an example folks because again i i think this this whole thing is is quite ridiculous when you really start to look at this okay um utep ranks 14th in conference usa in recruiting 130th nationally now they have five three-star prospects jake mcnamara uh leads the way followed by uh, Aluma uh, Nikeli, Luke Sieb, Josiah Allen, and then you've got, uh, is it Cedric or Cedric Luke? Yeah, I think it's Cedric, yeah. Cedric that sounds Luke. right. Then you got a two-star prospect in Amir Boyd, who is the 6'1 athlete from Phoenix. And after that, every other player is not in the 247 database. Nobody is in the database. And they're mostly junior college players, which tells me that they don't scout JUCOs like they scout high school athletes. And therefore, unfortunately for UTEP's sake, um, you know, of the 14, a lot of these guys just completely flew under the radar for what 247 has now become the number one recruiting service in the country. So 
it is a, a little, uh, you know, disturbing to say the least. I mean, you know, you got a kicker who kicked a 59-yard field goal is clearly one of the best kickers out there. No ratings across the board. Position, state, and I'm like, come on. I mean, I'd, and again, because the ratings in recruiting are only based on stars. And if you got all these guys with no stars, then of course your ratings are going to be at the bottom because 247 has no idea who two-thirds of these players are. But you want to know something? You're going to see them on the field. They're probably going to contribute. You could very well see a Kelton Moss come out of this group. You could very well see a Jacob Cowing come out of this group. So my point is recruiting rankings don't mean a thing, especially when you're talking to UTEP because they never bring players in based on number of stars they have. No, they don't, Steve. And uh, I think Kelly Arcari is one of those examples, a wide receiver recruit who signed yesterday as part of the National Signing Day class from Tyler Junior College, a mid-year transfer, who is, uh, who, like Dana Dimmel said, he is going to be somebody who contends for the two-deep spot at the receiver's position. If he's a guy who stands out this year, this is somebody who had zero stars on his radar. Same thing for Marcus Belton, who apparently is going to potentially be a kick returner and a punt return guy for UTEP this year, and also a slot receiver that could very well break into the rotation. So how can a guy who is suddenly going to thrust himself right into uh, potential playing time on special teams and on offense have zero stars? And that's, again, my point why fans should not care less about who care about how UTEP is rated and how many stars these guys have. Yeah, and I also feel like those Cali junior college players, those guys end up seeing the field a lot quicker than the other players. And just kind of looking at these different players and, and who comes in, and it seems like those are the guys who go under the radar unnoticed, and those are the guys who typically have zero stars when they come to UTEP. 100%. All right, 880-5763, our telephone number. One segment in the books here in hour number two. We got so much more to talk about, folks. There's a ton, ton to get to, especially the national stuff. Oh, my goodness. Between the stories involving Brian Flores, there's now new allegations involving Daniel Snyder that aren't very good either. Major League Baseball is looking to try to get help to end their lockout. Tons of stuff to cover, and we've got uh, a good hour and 45 minutes to do it. We'll do it with you next, right after Charlie One and this traffic update. 21 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 880-5763, that is our telephone number. Love to hear from you. Jeff Passan today reporting that Major League Baseball requested the immediate assistance of a federal mediator to help resolve the sports lockout. Now, it sounds to me like baseball's finally realizing they can't do it themselves and they need help. So they reached out to the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service which is a governmental agency attempting to help resolve labor disputes, sources said. Mediation is not mandatory, and the MLB Players Association would need to agree to the involvement of a third party. That's also going to be really interesting, because if I'm the Players Association, hey, this is the owner's problem. They're the ones that locked out the players. The players didn't want this to happen. This was the owner's decision. So if you're the players and you've been locked out, for three months now, and you've met four times, nothing has really been anything in terms of of uh, any kind of progress towards a resolution. If you are the MLB uh, Players Association, do you even 
accept mediation or do you say, forget it? This is your problem. You got to fix it or we're not going to be going back to work. The interesting part about just mediators in general, they, they have been used in years past for labor and work stoppage and things like that in, involving sports. Uh, my biggest thing with this, if you're working with mediation, uh, it usually involves a long, drawn-out process that could go on for months. So uh, going this route, Steve, um, also makes me think that they're not close. No, they're not. They're close not. at all. And in 94, the, the mediator that was in charge of trying to end things he, they couldn't do it. Matter of fact, if you remember correctly, the 94 World Series was scrapped so badly that they didn't even reach an agreement before the 95 season. And Tom Glavin was the union leader at the time. He's in the Hall of Fame. He said, quote, we were willing to compromise and we have shown that. But Mr. Usury, who is the mediator, his proposal was outrageous in many instances. We'd be giving away things we've gone on strike for previously. Mr. Usury couldn't answer any questions about what a lot of his proposal meant. And then the um, director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, Don Fear, had similar disappointment. So you want to know something? (sighs) Again, baseball's in some trouble. Let's just put it that way. Pitchers and catchers are supposed to report in 12 days. That's not going to happen. Season's supposed to start um, late late March, end of March, beginning of April. That's not going to happen. And right now, baseball, this to me, when they're looking to reach out for federal mediation, that means they're desperate. That means that they are so far off, they need help. And I don't even know if I'd want to help out if I'm the Players Association. Yeah, I would want. It just really depends because I know they've made progress on some uh, some forms of conversations, but the economic core impact of these conversations really seems like it hasn't been resolved, Steve, and that's the biggest thing on this. Both sides looking at each other, uh, one wanting a little bit more pay or just fair pay, and then the other side uh, holding firm. So it, it's really tough when you look at both sides here. It really is, um, and I'm interested to see what ends up happening. I really am. So, you know, the Major League Baseball Players Association, um, you want to know, here's what's funny, okay? So, you know, they haven't sent out many tweets on, you know, what's going to happen as far as the baseball uh, situation. In fact, they haven't, they haven't had any comment regarding the um, idea of mediation. And I don't know what's going to happen there. That's a... It's a very, very delicate situation. And meanwhile, while this is going on today, Major League Baseball announced that they're increasing the minor league schedule at the AAA level to 150 games. They're going to go until, I believe, the 25th of September, 25th or 26th. I forget what it is. And, you know, they're gonna, it's going to be the, lar- the longest AAA season ever. Now... This also makes sense to me. This is what Major League Baseball is trying to do. Remember the old days where season ended late August, beginning of September, playoffs started, and everybody could expand their rosters, call up players. That doesn't seem like that's ever going to happen anymore. Now they want to play a full AAA season the way they play a full Major League Baseball season. 150 games, that's a lot of games. And think about it. If you're not ending the regular season until late September, they might not, they might scrap the playoffs. Maybe maybe Major League Baseball just doesn't care about crowning a, a playoff champion like they used to. Maybe that's not in the cards right now for MLB. 
Yeah, and that's sad because uh, for a lot of people here locally, just speaking, I, I mean, I guess a little selfishly, a lot of people in El Paso really uh, held on to the El Paso Chihuahuas when they made their deep runs uh, in the PCL championships and things like that. And having a season go from April to September, Steve, you you and I both know in August, September, people's attention are here locally. It's a little away from the Chihuahuas. It's more toward the local football or the local, you know, other fall sports that are going on, like volleyball. It's tough to sustain, I guess, success when you're talking about attendance late in September. In September, when you don't even have playoffs to play for. Absolutely, absolutely. Meanwhile, great article written uh, just in, in moments ago in the Athletic from Evan uh, Drellich, who covers baseball. And uh, what they're, what the push of the idea behind this article is MLB's decision to really try to go for federal mediation and collective bargaining talks, quote, is a win-win for the commissioner's office, even if MLB knows the players are unlikely to sign on for the process. So, um, you know, that is interesting. One league source said, quote, what couldn't be positive about bringing in an experienced and positive neutral mediator? Another source said, if the union says no, they win, the agent said. If the union says yes, they go through the process and burn a couple of weeks and win. If the union says no to mediation, the most likely outcome for a few reasons, MLB will still have at least a a small feather in its cap. They could say that they attempted to use mediation and the union would not. Potentially a way of trying to position the players as obstructionists, according to Drellich. And I, I mean, listen... If anybody is following this process, and if you're siding with the owners, to me, you're crazy. I mean, players have been getting screwed for a while. The owners want to absolutely get more of what they're what's already making them billionaires, and there's such a wide gap in what the players want and what the owners want, and there's no and the owners are not coming even close to trying to come to the midway point, and it was their decision to lock out the players and ultimately start this. I hope nobody out there is actually looking at this and putting the players as uh, as the, as as the bad guys because this is this is all ownership. This is all ownership. It's all the commissioner's office. There's no other way around it. Yeah, I found it very interesting also in this article you're referencing, Steve, that Rob Manfred is quoted by saying mediators are process people. They help parties get through the deal. They don't like to say this is what you should do. It's very unusual. It sounds like he's kind of setting up the breadcrumbs for uh, you know it being as convincing as possible for the Players Association to try to agree on this. When in re- in reality, why would they agree to this when uh, the the owners on their side and the commissioner have not been flexible on anything that they've been asking for? Zero. Absolutely zero. Players have actually come around and they have offered their counter proposals and they've they've given a lot more than the owners have. Owners have given practically nothing on any of this stuff. Yeah, you look at that one that came in last Tuesday, a hundred billion. Uh, what was it, a hundred million, Steve? And that one was rejected. It's like it, it seems like when the players are trying their best and putting their effort to try to compromise, the owners don't don't see it that way. So here's what I'm going to be most fascinated about. Okay, normally spring training for minor leaguers starts in March. Okay, pitchers and catchers report in February, and then they usually start games end of February, early March, and then the minor leaguers start to roll into the count the complexes about two to three weeks after spring training normally begins for uh, big leaguers. If there's going to be no spring training games on time because they haven't figured this out and it's going to keep dragging on and on, what's going to happen to all the minor leaguers out there? 
Will they? They don't have a union. They don't have a players association. As you've heard from Cody Decker numerous times on this show, they're basically, you know, a lot of these guys, if you don't sign for bonus money, you're playing for less money than you would most minimum wage jobs. So the question is, what do they do? I mean, ultimately, do they show up? Do they play games? Are they ready to go? Are we still going to get a Chihuahua season starting on time, which we are supposed to have? Or will this eventually carry over into the minor leagues? I'm fascinated by that point. Yeah, this definitely has to have a ripple effect, and we'll know sooner rather than later. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Even replacement players talk on this. I don't know. I, don't, I, I hope not. Yeah, me too. I, I hope it doesn't go the there. It's not. It's, it's wrong. It'll put the players in a really bad spot to cross over and go against their union, and 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 their. That, that's not where you want to go either. That's that's not. That, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Yeah, definitely not. That would be like the most desperation move, and almost that would be the worst move that the owners could put uh, pressure these minor league players to do. Bottom of the hour, middle of the show, eight eight zero five seven six three. Our telephone number. Let's send it back right now to Adrian in this Sports Center update. And thank you very much. ESPN.com came up with a list of the hundred greatest baseball players in the history of the sport. Okay, now as far as. Uh, who was part of this committee? I guess it's, they say, dozens of ESPN editors and writers. They did a balloting system um, where they put players from the list against each other in head-to-head voting, and then they essentially narrowed it down to the top uh, 100 players of all time. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Current players ranking in the top 100 we currently have, remember, this is the history of the game. History of the game. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pretty amazing, really, if you think about it. According to this, seven players currently playing Major League Baseball are on the top 100 list of all time. Seems ambitious, right? I mean, seven right here. Seems ridiculous, if you ask me. Ridiculous. But nonetheless, here we go. So the highest current player on the all-time list is Mike Trout. He's 15th, by the way. 15th, wow. They've got Mike Trout ahead of Joe DiMaggio. Think about that for a second, okay? If anybody is older than... 40 years old, and has ever studied baseball, ever. And I love Mike Trout, okay? Great player. Am I ready to put Mike Trout ahead of Joe DiMaggio? Come on. I was going to think like top 25, like maybe in the 20s through 30s, but I I was thinking he'd be the highest one, but not 15. 15. That's really high. 15, and he's still playing, so that means obviously he can keep moving up, right? Moving up. You're saying that he could finish out as a top 10 overall player in the game's history? Yes. They've got him ahead. Listen to this. They, this just some of the players they have him ahead of. They've got him ahead of DiMaggio, Mike Schmidt, Frank Robinson, Rogers Hornsby, um, Ricky Henderson, Roberto Clemente, Jeter, Pete Rose, Tris Speaker, Jackie Robinson, Joe Morgan. Those are all, they're all below uh, Mike Trout. Then they've got Albert Pujols at 30, right between Mariano Rivera and Johnny Bench. Albert Pujols, 30th greatest player in the history of the game. 
Man, Steve, it, it, they're they're uh, oh, they're gets, really being stressed. Uh, they're they're really stretching this one. It gets better. Clayton Kershaw, fifty second player in the history of the game. Miguel Cabrera, he's checking in at number fifty nine, ahead of Carl Yastrzemski, Melot, and right behind Steve Carlton. How about recency bias there? Max Scherzer, sixty five, between Cal Ripken Jr. and Eddie Matthews. Max Scherzer, seriously, this is, again, I believe my biggest problem is this. There's way too many young people on this list that are voting, have no clue of the historical significance of the game, and completely are are putting guys that, that shouldn't be sniffing this list in the list. Like 65, Max Scherzer, they've got Justin Verlander, 72. Bryce Harper shouldn't be on this list, by the way. Bryce Harper is 94. Shouldn't be on that list. It's ridiculous. That's the 100 list. greatest players in the history of baseball. And by the way, if you're wondering who didn't make the list, that's always fun, right? Yeah, snubs. All right, here's who was snubbed from the list. Jeff Bagwell, in the Hall of Fame, not top 100. George Sisler, in the Hall of Fame, not uh, 100. Fergie Jenkins. In the Hall of Fame, not in the top 100. Mookie Betts is not in. Andrew Jones is not in. And I'm sure there's plenty of others that are also not in the Hall, or not in this top 100 list of Major League Baseball players. So if you want to know the top 10, which I'm sure you do, I'll give those to you right after the break. Because that in itself is a good debate that we can have here on the program. So we'll do that right after ABC 7 News, which is next. And Charlie won. Top 100. Mike Trout. Better than Joe DiMaggio. (laughs) Right here. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. All right. We're talking top 100 all-time players here on Sports Talk as we continue. And I mentioned uh, some of the current players and where they fall. This is all from ESPN.com, by the way. ESPN polled their dozens of writers, editors, and everybody else, and this is what they've come up with. So let's give you 10 through 1. How about that? We'll start with number 10. Stan the Man Musial, number 10. Number 9, Walter Johnson. Number 8, Barry Bonds. Interesting. Very interesting. Number 7, Mickey Mantle. Number 6, Lou Gehrig. Number 5, Ted Williams. Number 4, Ty Cobb. Number 3, Hank Aaron. Number two, Willie Mays. Number one, Babe Ruth. So there we go. That's 10 through one. Now, if you listen to me a couple of days ago on the show, I said Babe Ruth was the greatest player of all time. He'd be, the, he'd be the face of baseball like we were talking about the goats. So I have no problem with Babe Ruth, number one. I think that, that still is, is, to me, the clear-cut choice no matter who's played the game. Yeah, I'm glad that ESPN also agreed, Steve, and I'm glad that even though this has been controversial so far, this is at least one that they got right. 100% right. What's interesting is Willie Mays, too, okay? Because right now, in my mind, Willie Mays is no doubt the greatest living player um, in the history of the game, okay? We said that he was the greatest living player in the history of the game when Hank Aaron was, was still around. So, And that's just because the defense, the offense... The spectacular plays, the speed, the consistency, 
I mean, who knows how many home runs Willie would have hit if he was not playing in the polo grounds for uh, the first, what, seven years of his career. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot. So, yeah, I'm I'm all about, you know, Willie Mays, um, you know, being uh, right in that list. Although, I will say this, you can make a very good argument that Ty Cobb is number two behind Babe Ruth. That's Very good argument. That's real interesting because uh, this this top three right here with Hank and Aaron at number three, and then right there Ty Cobb at four. Number four might be too low for Ty Cobb and what he was able to do in his career. Ty Cobb in his career, okay. Um, number one, you look at twelve batting titles. So think about that, okay. He played twenty four years in the big leagues, and half those years. He won a batting title. And by the way, Ty Cobb hit 400 or better twice. I mean, sorry, three times in his career. Three times. Batted 401 as a 35-year-old. He batted 409 uh, with Detroit in 1912, and he batted 419 with Detroit in 1911. Now think about this for a second, okay? That means he was getting hits more than four out of every time at bat. That that's amazing when you start to think about it, especially realizing how rare it is to hit 400 in um, you know in, in baseball. So Ty Cobb career batting average 366, career number of hits he's got um, 4,189, and then you know you look at everything else he did, almost 2,000 RBIs. Ty Cobb was a machine. All right and. Forget the kind of person he was. It was an unbelievable ball player. Unbelievable ball player. And, you know, inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1936. And uh, simply put, you know, one of one of the all-time greats. And if somebody was trying to make an argument that Ty Cobb was better than Babe Ruth, you could actually have a pretty good, uh, pretty good argument. You really could, given his body of work and everything he did throughout his career. Yeah, just to, in, in terms of the bat and what he was able to do in hitting uh, the baseball, he was just amazing. And, uh, you know, even Babe Ruth tips his hat off to him, saying that, God Almighty, that man could hit. Uh, David Schoenfeld quoted him uh, in saying that. And so I, I love that, that you even had one of the greatest of all times uh, also paying tribute to one of the other greats in Ty Cobb. No doubt. So Ty Cobb uh, is fourth behind Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Now, again, Aaron had the home run record, broke Babe Ruth until uh, Barry Bonds came along. But, you know, Hank Aaron was a terrific player for, uh, uh, you know, forever. So, I mean, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Ty Cobb in the top five, I think, is is fair. Ted Williams um, didn't win a World Series with Boston, but still one of the greatest hitters ever. And you can't you can't deny that. Lou Gehrig, I think, belongs up there. Mickey Mantle, clearly one of the all-time greats. Bonds is interesting at eight because here's what's interesting about Bonds at eight, okay? If you really look at what Barry Bonds did during his entire career, including the last, you know, what, eight or nine years, then you could, or ten years, then you could absolutely put Barry Bonds in the top two or top three of all time because his numbers are Ruthian-like. I mean, they, they compare with Babe Ruth. They really do. So if you really gauge what Barry Bonds was as a player throughout his career, eight seems too low, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it really does because I, I just look at the 981 on-base percentage. That number is like a video game type of number right there. The fact that he's just always reaching base no matter what. 33 home runs, 34 stolen bases on his way to three MVPs from 87 to 1998. That's ridiculous. That stretch right there is uh, very dominant. And then when he he became even you know better when he uh, allegedly took the PEDs and you know soared off into what he what, what the rest of his career ended up being. Now you got to understand, okay? I mean Barry had one amazing year ridiculous year 19 2001 he hits 73 home runs and drives in 137 runs now if you look at barry bonds pre-99 so that was 99 was the year he started bulking up okay so let's just look at barry bonds from 86 to 96 still um he was a you know 35 to 40 home run guy 100 rbis every year he was simply put he was on his way to cooperstown by the time he was 33 years old in 1998. There was no doubt about that. But then the stats just go obscene from the last, you know, eight years of his career. And that's why when you look at his career numbers, they're just off the charts. But understand this. I mean, from 1992 to to 1998, before all the PD stuff, Barry Bonds still had an OPS, which is on-base plus slugging, over uh, 1,000. And those are huge numbers. And he walked a ton in those years. He led the league in walks for four years in a row from 94 to 97. He always walked. The only difference was you could never get him out once he started, uh, once he started bulking up. As simple as that. Yeah, I look at 2001 to 2004, 755 walks, 307 more than the runner-up. That is absolutely insane. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, Bonds, to me, um, you know, 762 home runs, 1,996 RBIs, and 2,558 walks. That's the all-time walks record, including 688 intentional walks. I mean, those are those are incredible numbers. And and by the way, he's a career two ninety eight hitter in Major League Baseball, and his batting average was always good, but his batting average went through the roof uh, during those you know four or five year period between about ninety you know, two thousand two thousand was a decent year for him. By the way, it wasn't a great year. I'm gonna tell you something. You know that was the year he supposedly started with all this stuff because of the ninety eight home run chase in ninety nine. Bonds. Had 34 home runs, 83 RBIs. He only played in 102 games that year because of injuries, and he batted 262. I mean, the year that really things exploded for him was 2000 as a 35 year old. I mean, you're supposed to go down in age, and Bonds just went crazy as he was aging up. He got better when he was. He kind of had like two different versions, two different peaks. Uh, one in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, and late '90s, and then his second peak came in the early 2000s when he really shot up in his numbers. Pinky tweeted the show just as I thought Barry Bonds should be top ten and be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Forever a Giant. I mean, you know my thoughts on this, Pinky. You have so many guys that are in the Hall of Fame that are just like Bonds, meaning they, 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 this is the same. They're no different than Bonds, okay? They might never fail the test, or in the case of Ortiz, it was a voluntary test that was supposed to be confidential. But the point is, 
they've got so many guys in the Hall of Fame that that are that did the same stuff. You can't possibly tell me that Bonds doesn't deserve it. It's ridiculous. One day, Steve. One day he'll get there. Sooner, hopefully, than later. I hope so. So that's the uh, that's the top ten. Um, but there are plenty of interesting names on this list. You should check it out, folks. And that's ESPN.com. Derek Jeter, 28th all-time. Oh, man. Go back to the Jeter talk. Yeah, that's a, that's a little uh, a bit of a reach right there as well. I think so. Now, again, I think the difference is nowadays you judge people based on analytics, sabermetrics, defensive ability, wins above replacement, all the new stats, and it changes the way you look at players. It really does. I still look at Mike Trout, and I'm questioning because he hasn't been necessarily a winner in October by all means. I know it's not all his fault, but still. Can you to imagine? Be 15th all time? Yeah, that's, I mean, again, you look at some of these old guys. You imagine you tell somebody like Mel Ott or, um, you know, Lefty Grove what whip is or what wins above replacement is, and they'd look at you like you're from another planet. They wouldn't care. They wouldn't care, 100%. Final hour next. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of hour three here on the program, along with Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplow. It's back on Sports Talk. 8805763 is our telephone number to get into the program. 8805763 as we continue here on the show. If you're just joining us, well, uh, we had Dana Dimmel in our first hour breaking down the recruits. He also told us that they have picked. A new Luke Laufenberg number two for 2022, and it's none other than Gavin Hardison, which I think is really cool. Because even though Luke played tight end, uh, obviously his dad being Babe Laufenberg and going to a quarterback, that's just, uh, that's neat. It's neat seeing a, it's going to be neat seeing Hardison in the number two Laufenberg jersey uh, all year. That's going to be, that's going to be fun. Yeah, and I guess uh, for Dana Dimmel, he wanted to give it to a leader, somebody on offense, and somebody who uh, really resembled the program and, and uh, uh, you know, represented it in a great way. So Gavin Hardison, somebody who threw for over 3,000 passing yards last year, helped the Miners uh, en route to their New Mexico Bowl appearance. Yes, he will be wearing the number two jersey. Uh, and that was really interesting to hear that from Dana Dimmel today. I thought so, too. I thought so, too. So... Um, and I was looking to see if Babe ever wore number two. I don't think he did. I mean, even when he was in, um, you know, when he was with the Cowboys, he definitely never wore number two. And I don't think he did in college, if I'm not mistaken. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm. Uh, I'm curious to know why uh, Luke live liked uh, number two so much. I guess next time we have Babe on, that, that's something that we could ask him. What what the fascination was with the number two. I'm with you on that one. I think he wore um he might have worn 11 in college. I thought he also wore 4 with the Cowboys and then 12 with the Chargers. I got to double check all those numbers, but hey, uh number 2 it's going to be cool. So I'm I'm happy for that and uh, then we found out that, you know, there there are a couple of assistants that will uh, be newcomers this year. They'll get a new safeties coach, and then they'll also get uh, a new tight ends coach, which kind of replaces the interior wide receiver coaching title they had last year with uh, Theron H. when he was here. That's right. And uh, just to touch on the safeties coach, Josh Brown, uh, he had some strong safeties. When you look at all the minors from last year, uh, Davion Inyang, who ended up graduating, uh, had a great season with him. Uh, Justin Prince, although he had injuries that he dealt with last year, he was a really good safety for 
for the minors, and then as they transferred, uh, you know, different guys into the mix when players went down. I like the development from guys like Tyson Wilson and Tyreek James. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt like uh, somebody like Josh Brown, the safeties coach, he had a good resume here at UTEP. Absolutely. By the way, UTEP senior day, uh, NFL Pro Day will be March the 9th. So March the 9th for NFL Pro Day at UTEP. And there's some good ones. I mean, you got Justin Garrett. You've got um, you've got DeHaro. That's also another good one. You've got Darda Lee. That's an interesting one when you start to talk about it. Um, and there's a couple more as well that are going to be in that mix for uh, you know uh, the uh, NFL Pro Day. And uh, by the way, Davion Inyang's another one. Boy, I'm interested to see if Inyang can can get himself into uh, on, onto the radar of a lot of NFL teams. Yeah, I'm looking at Justin Garrett, Davion Inyang, and Breon Hayward. Those yep. are the three I'm looking at right there who could crack a roster. And like the miners have shown or alumni have shown, you don't have to go to the NFL route. There's other routes that you could take. Uh, this is the first year we'll see the USFL come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's set to start here. Here soon. I'm curious to see if any miners would be interested in that or if they'd be interested in the Canadian football route like we've seen guys like Alvin Jones take. So I think opportunities there for these miners who are going to go pro in football. And I could I could really see Justin Garrett making an NFL roster. Couldn't you? Yes, especially special. He has the film on special teams. I know he some does. might uh, roll their eyes, but they like uh, they like kick return specialists. They got like guys who've been on special teams. Those guys crack rosters first, and then he could uh, do whatever it takes to try to get on the wide receiver uh, part. But you know what? It's just the attitude, the ability, and the fact is he's such a likable person and a likable player. I think that's going to go a long way in a NFL clubhouse. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, definitely wanting to catch up with Justin Garrett as he's uh, working out right now. I know he works out at UTEP almost every day. Uh, so I'd be, curi- I'd be curious to uh, catch up with him, see how his training has gone, see the feedback he's been getting. You've been seeing uh, little posts here and there, like Davion Inyang uh, posted recently about a agent representative uh, that's, that's going to be uh, taking care of him throughout this offseason and getting him ready for the uh, NFL Pro Day. So, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping the best for these guys. I'm with you on that one. 880-5763. That is our telephone number as uh, we continue here on Sports Talk. Folks, if you had not had a chance to read Adrian's deep dive into the class of 2022, you need to. It's very, very good and uh, really goes and dissects the class in a terrific way. And I think that uh, that plus your article yesterday, uh, such a great compendium to give minor fans who want to just know more about this recruiting class as a whole. Yeah, I appreciate that, Steve, and I appreciate people who uh, who sent in some questions. I think we should do that a little bit more often since we get a lot of questions here on the show. Uh, sometimes people are not able to listen all the time. Maybe just uh, profile it and write it up on our website and take it in that. We could do that for basketball and football and, you know, moving forward, this spring ball is, is so highly anticipated right now. There's a lot of good storylines around this team. I would love a minor mailbag. I think minor mailbag is perfect because we get all these great questions and then we could start, you know, knocking them out one by one and have some fun with it yeah I think so and I think a lot of people would chime in on these questions they always come up with some good questions so uh, I love the the ones that we got the responses that we had and yeah I, I think this could this definitely has some potential have we done a minor mailbag for basketball yet I haven't. I think I've maybe answered like two questions in, in a five takeaway story, but that was it. Maybe we need to throw that out there today, see how many minor questions for hoops we can get, both men and women's basketball, and then 
we'll go ahead and we'll attack a minor mailbag on the show. I think that'd yeah, be fun. I think that'd be a lot of fun, and we can kind of go through it in both perspectives. I think that'd be a, a great thing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot that out on the 600 ESPN El Paso social handle. So if you see that out there, just reply to it with a question that you might have involving basketball, and we'll answer it. You know people are going to have good questions on basketball right now. Yeah. Especially with the way this team's playing, five-game winning streak off till Saturday, and they play Saturday, Monday, and Thursday, Adrian. So we've got really three games in five days for the UTEP men's basketball team. Yeah, and I'm uh, very interested to see how they take on this road test because Rice is no slouch. They're a pretty strong team. They've got UTSA tonight. I'm curious to see what that turnout looks like uh, when they go up against the Roadrunners, but I I think this Rice team is very deceiving, and then that North Texas team, they're the juggernaut team that you don't want to play right now, but if you're trying to be the best, UTEP right now is fourth in Conference USA. If they want to climb up in the rankings, they got to beat the mean green. It's going to be super tough to do something like that. Man, how about that? Well, you just said something really interesting. UTEP fourth in Conference USA right now? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Six and three overall. Wow. Um, That's not something anybody really expected, is it? No, I feel like they had that easier part of their schedule. They were at home. They swept the Roadrunners, their travel partners. They were able to beat Old Dominion on the road and then beat both Florida schools at home. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a good opportunity for the Miners to get some wins under their belt. Now let's see what they could do moving forward. They got comfortable uh, without the likes of Keontae Kennedy, and uh, it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. You're looking at late February if he's coming back, per Joe Golding uh, and what he said on his radio show. So. Uh, yeah, it seems like this is going to be the roster. This is going to be the team for a while. I think UTEP is actually fifth overall in Conference USA out of 14 schools. Because if you look at their 6-3 and three record in the conference, they would be right behind Middle Tennessee at 5-2, and two, but they would still be ahead of Florida Atlantic at 5-3 and three by half a game. So wow. I believe that would put them overall right now fifth out of 14 teams in Conference USA. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. With Middle Tennessee, I think I had looked at this uh, at this conference standings before they played their recent game. They actually just recently beat um, Western Kentucky 93-85, so that's how they secured that victory. I, excuse me, the first place spot in the Conference USA East Division. But you're right. I mean, Rice is going to be a battle because they're 7-2 and two at home. North Texas is 8-2 and two at home. So Rice is 5-4, and four, North Texas is 8-1. and one. Those are going to be two big-time tests for UTEP. Yeah, I feel like with uh, North Texas, Grant McCaslin's probably coaching his last year in Denton. He's he's uh, off to be- bigger and better things after this year, and uh, not a lot of fans who go out to those Mean Green games. So uh, not a lot of people who are taking advantage of this great me- uh, Mean Green program and team. They just went to the NCAA tournament last year. They've won seven in a row. They're 5-0 and on the road, but they play the minors at home where like you said, Steve, they're eight and two. Yeah, that's going to be a very, very tough game for UTEP uh, come Monday night. There is no doubt about that. In fact, you know, you look at the losses that North Texas has suffered this year. Somehow, they lost to Buffalo the second week of the season, uh, or second game of the season by three, and then they lost to KU by twelve, Miami by six. And UAB is the only school that beat them in Conference USA, and they ended up winning by six in uh, Denton. So, look, if UAB can knock off North Texas, 
UTEP can as well. You just got to bring the defense and hope you got a great, uh, you know, a great offensive game from all your uh, all your players. Yeah, that's a key right there because you know that defense will travel, but you have to have shots fall. And uh, the the book is out on UTEP. People are going to key on Sule Boom if Jarrell Satterfield gets hot. Then they're going to start keying on him or 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 uh, start keying on uh, Jamal Bienemy. It seems like zone defenses work really well against the miners. So I'm curious to see if North Texas or or Rice goes in a zone format and tries to disrupt momentum from the minors. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough task to try to beat this team, both these teams, to oh, be abs- honest. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they got they got a sophomore who's 6'10 from Brooklyn named, uh, I think it's uh, Osmani, and he's averaging almost 10 a game, 10 and 5, 10 and 5 boards. He's 6'10, goes 230. So that'll most likely be Titus's assignment. And then you'll probably have Alfred Hollins doing what he can to try to hold off Thomas Bell, who is the very good 6'6 senior who averages 12 points and seven boards a game. Yeah, and that's going to be a fun, fun matchup. Bell killed UTEP last year. He's a tough player, 12 points per game. He, he leads their team in assists, too. He's very versatile. Uh, Perry's a great guard for them. He plays almost the whole game. He shoots very well, 14 points per game. Is, and uh, he's coming off a strong performance against Louisiana Tech. Uh, where he hit a three-pointer with just four seconds left to beat uh, the Bulldogs, 63-62. Uh, wow, so there's a, there's a big, that's a big performance right there. And look, you beat La Tech. We know what La Tech is all about. We saw La Tech in El Paso, and they knocked him off by a point. That's pretty big. Yeah, it is. And right now it's so funny because Florida Atlantic, who the Miners beat, they're they're actually beating right now Louisiana Tech 53-42, nine-point lead for the Owls against the Bulldogs. Really? Yeah, that's going on right now. Is that game uh, in, uh, in Boca? That is in Boca. Yes, that's correct. 13 minutes left in the second half, and this one's on the plus. Ah, very nice. Oh, yeah, the plus. The, uh, the channel we used to see for every UTEP football game, and we could never get it for a UTEP basketball game. Yeah, exactly. And, and randomly, there's an Old Dominion Marshall game on CBS Sports Network tonight, which is a, a battle between two teams that don't really matter right now yeah. in the East Division. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. that, that, that really does. Put Florida Atlantic, yeah. put Louisiana Tech. I don't mm-hmm. get it. <laughs> By the way, for those of you wondering, because I'm sure people are, um, the game against North Texas will be on ESPN Plus Monday night. The game against That's Rice. Our guy Kyle Yeomans, who's on the That's call. Right. That's right. Uh, CUSA TV gets the Rice game on Saturday, okay? And then no game Thursday. I'm sorry, I said there's three in five days. I was wrong because the Miners don't play again until Sunday the 13th against Super Marshall. Super Bowl Sunday. Ugh. Yeah, and, that, and that's, and that's going to be on um, – that'll also be on CUSA TV. No one's going to go to that game, Steve. I'm sorry. It's Super Bowl Sunday. One o'clock tip. Who puts a one o'clock game on Super Bowl Sunday? Who does that? I thought the game was supposed to be at noon. It's one now. They moved it. They actually moved it back an hour. It's supposed to be a 12 noon game on Sunday. Let me ask you this. Is there any way they could call up Marshall and say, hey, everybody here wants to watch the Super Bowl. You guys want to come in for a 10 a.m. start, an early tip-off? You want to know something? So I I was asking about this because I said, who are the geniuses who scheduled a Super Bowl Sunday 1 o'clock tip when the game kicks off at 4. You want to hear what I was told? Conference USA. Really? This has that? nothing This has nothing to do with UTEP or Marshall. This is all CUSA. Not surprised at all, Steve. 
please. This league is a joke. All right, 17 past as we continue here on Sports Talk. 880-5763 is our telephone number. The Monster is going to join us about 30 minutes from now. But first, we'll come back after this timeout. You're listening to 600 ESPN El Paso. Sports Talk 21 past the hour. NBA reserves announced today. Hey, let's talk about the All-Star game for a second. They're playing in Cleveland. I, I mean, personally, I couldn't care less about this game. That's always been my philosophy. But um, as far as the starters go, I'm curious, uh, Adrian, because uh, the one name that I was kind of questioning a little bit is Andrew Wiggins, who gets voted in as a starter for the Warriors because he's averaging about um, 18 a game. Um, doesn't do much else, but uh, nonetheless, I've always thought of Andrew Wiggins as kind of a bust. Uh, there's so many deserving players that could start, um, in this all-star game. You know, Luca's averaging 26 points, nine boards and nine assists per game. And he's a reserve. And instead, Andrew Wiggins is a starter. Yeah. My, my two options at that position at that starter position would have been Devin Booker or Chris Paul. What the Suns have done all year has been uh, absolutely remarkable. They, there was no hangover whatsoever, Steve coming off that uh, finals appearance. They are hungry to try to run it back and win the finals this year. Those would have been my two options there. The reason they put Wiggins in is the fan vote it's ridiculous I can't stand the fan vote and it's pro it's you know guys like Andrew Wiggins named as starters is why I can't stand how how they incorporate the fans in the voting isn't John Morant a point guard also yes yes so they got so they've got two point guards you got Steph Curry and John Morant yeah, that, that's right. So I guess Steph will be kind of that off, off-ball off guard. It's so interesting because they don't go with positions anymore. Look at the East starters yeah. when they have DeMar DeRozan there at the guard spot. He plays forward. I know. But I'm just looking at the kind of numbers Luka puts up. I mean, I would think Luka should be a starter, but it's funny. Has the uh, has the shine worn off Luka Doncic at all? Yes, and it's because he came into the season. Um, uh, he didn't have he didn't come into the season in shape. He came in a little fat, and uh, the problem was with Luka is he had to play his way into shape. And so now the Mavs are starting to trend upwards, uh, but they they still had inconsistencies earlier in the year. That's why I would dock him and not uh, make him that first team. Yeah. Uh, you know, NBA All Star team. Did he come in James Harden? That? Yes, that kind of really. Ch- yes, yeah, he was wow. like that, and and you know, Luca's young, so he has to understand what it takes to be, uh, you, you know, an NBA player and and really value your body more than anything else, like Giannis and LeBron and guys like that. Is Bron going to play or probably not? Yeah, he might. Uh, Kevin Durant is obviously not playing because yeah. he's injured, but I would still, I think LeBron will at least play to some degree. Okay, uh, Draymond's me- not. Yeah, uh, you you. That's not a surprise. I mean, you look at uh, who's in. As uh, the Eastern starters, DeMar DeRozan uh, having a terrific year with the Bulls. Uh, then you got Trey Young with the, uh, the Hawks. Uh, Durant, you mentioned Giannis and uh, Joel Embiid. Any issues on any of the starters on the East? No, no issues there. Uh, I'm curious to see who will replace Kevin Durant as the starter uh, in the East. I, I'm not. Ho- I'm really hoping it's not uh, somebody like Jason Tatum. I just don't think he's had the greatest year with the Celtics. Uh, I would hope that it's maybe Jimmy Butler or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the East starters right there. I'm looking at the reserves for the East. Darius Garland's turned into a nice player, hasn't he? 
Yeah, no one saw this uh, with the Cavs and what they've been able to do. They're the fifth seed right now. They've uh, they've been boosted by their awesome rookie in Evan Mobley, who's likely the rookie of the year this year. Uh, Darius Garland, a fabulous point guard, and he's really coming to his own. Uh, and it's sad to say, Steve, but Colin Sexton suffered an injury with the Cavs, and that's allowed Darius Garland to really take the keys of this offense and really run with it. He's been mentored by Ricky Rubio, who also went out with an injury with the Cavs. But I really like that backcourt. I think Cleveland's a sneaky team this year, and I really like Jarrett Allen, uh, who is also on their team. He was snubbed. He's one of those all-star snubs, I would say. Speaking of snubs, and I'll just you know put it the way it really needs to be, Pascal Siakam is doing exactly what he's done the last three years. I mean, he's averaging 21 a game, eight and a half boards, five assists. He's shooting 47% from the field. Most rebounds he's ever averaged in his career is this year at eight and a half. 21 is just in line with what we've seen the last couple of years from Siakam. Is Siakam a snub? He could be if you look at Chris Middleton and you don't think that he deserves it, which some would argue that Middleton isn't that second best player on the Bucks. It's really, uh, it's really Drew Holiday who's missed a lot of this year due to injuries, and uh, I think he's really that second guy for Milwaukee. Not necessarily Chris Middleton, who's been okay. I mean, he's been fine with with uh, them. I think it's also difficult, Steve, to put two Toronto players this year when they're twenty six and twenty three. Not the greatest season for Toronto, uh, Toronto at all. Third in the Atlantic right now, and uh, I would also look at somebody like uh, LaMelo Ball as being the biggest snub of them all in the East. I think he deserved it above everybody else. Middleton's averaging a point and a half less than Pascal Siakam, and he's averaging three less boards per game as well. Yeah, I don't like that addition right there. I think he was a product of the fan vote as well, and uh, he's also a product of, oh, well, we if uh, the Bucks are up there, if they're one of the best teams in the league, well, we have to put two players in the All-Star from Milwaukee. They don't necessarily always have to do that when you have the Greek freak on your team. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, you look at other snubs. Uh, Bam Adebayo did not get in uh, from Miami. Uh, Jared Allen, uh, speaking of Cavs players, you mentioned LaMelo and what he's been able to do. Jalen Brown from the Celtics, probably part of that. Uh, Anthony Davis of the Lakers, not into the All-Star game this year. Yeah, he's been injured all year long. I think that's a, a right call. I think uh, the big thing with Anthony Davis is to see if he will make an All-NBA team this year. He's missed so much of the season, uh, and I know a lot of Lakers fans are upset that he was not listed there, but they don't deserve it. They're the ninth seed. They're not good. They're 25 and 27. They're very inconsistent, and uh, you shouldn't reward somebody, some uh, some team like that. How about De'Aaron Fox out of Sacramento? Nope, I'm not a fan. I He's been on the trade block. Sacramento's a bad team. They're 19 and 34. They're trying to move on from De'Aaron Fox. He's a max player. He has one of the worst contracts in the league. Not for that. He has a he puts up great stats, but he's on a bad team. So when you look at the All-Star game, you really do factor teams in, in your opinion. It's like, if your team sucks and you're putting up big numbers, shouldn't mean anything. No, it shouldn't because a lot of the... Somebody's got to score a 20 a game for these really bad teams. Who else is going to score for them? So you look at leading scores for the Magic and the Pistons and the Pacers and, you know, the the Rockets, Thunder, and the Kings don't reward those guys. I would reward younger players on those teams if you're looking at their upside, but don't reward the leading scorers. All right. Uh, So that's uh, coming up here uh, from Cleveland, the uh, NBA All-Star game later this month. Uh, For those that want to watch it, we'll see uh, how that goes down since the reserves have now been named. Speaking of basketball, we've got uh, number three against uh, number seven going on right now in Tucson. 
uh, Arizona, UCLA. Surprised right now that uh, Arizona's beaten UCLA 28-17 wow. midway through the first half? Yeah, I am. I, I thought UCLA's that team that was going to bounce back after a really successful season last year in the deep uh, in their deep run into the NCAA tournament. I'm shocked to see that. I thought Arizona had a lot of struggles this year, and, and yeah, maybe they're trying to pick it up here in Pac-12 play. I don't know how much Arizona's struggling there tonight because, you know, it's funny. You, you look at uh, – now it's 28-19, by the way, with Arizona having the basketball uh, under eight left to go in the first half. Adrian, here's the interesting thing about, um, you know, really about this game in particular is that, you know, we talk so much about what Texas Tech and Texas meant to college basketball in the state of Texas because of Chris Beard coming back. But people forget you know, Pac-12 has some terrific basketball, and here are, are really – Two top ten teams are slugging it out right now, and UCLA's uh, what? They're they're I believe uh, eighteen and two. Arizona seventeen and two. Great teams. Yeah, and just unblemished this whole season. But like I was saying, the Wildcats coming into this year weren't highly regarded, and they've just really picked it up in uh, Pac-12 play. They had a good non-conference season, and it's balanced scoring for them. It's not your typical standout player for the Wildcats. No, they have a balanced uh, a balanced attack. And for UCLA, they ran it back with some of those guys from last year, like Haquez and Yus Jang, and those guys are strong, but those guys also have a big target on their back, and teams gun for them. So th- those guys always have to battle through uh, playing against the other team's best defenders. What's going on right now as we continue here on Sports Talk? Let's go back to Adrian and get one last bottom-of-the-hour Sports Center update as we continue. Some stuff, and again, Mondo the Monster Medina uh, coming up uh, top of the hour. He'll join us during our final countdown from the Haskins Center. Good to get the women back on the floor. And, man, after that trip to Florida, you know they want to get a shot at uh, North Texas tonight and try to get their season back on track. Yeah, Steve, this is a good team. That's that's what uh, really puzzled me. And I, I maybe it's the inconsistent in uh, time and playing with players going out one game and players other players going out the next game, whatever it may be, injuries, COVID-related, and uh, they just have to find – Find some continuity. That was a really tough trip for them last week, and hopefully they can bounce back this week. I mean, you look. Uh, North Texas is two and five. Rice is one and six. UTEP's four and five right now. They're still third in the league. But given the fact that Southern Miss is four and four and UAB is five and two, they could easily play themselves into uh, the one and two spot before the season's over. I'm not hitting the panic button at all. This is just a a call for the women's team to hold themselves accountable and really get, like you said, get their season back on track. This is their opportunity right here uh, to maybe reel off two wins back to back. It is really hard to figure, though, isn't it? Very difficult to try to really understand what's going on right now. Yeah, they have a great nucleus. You have Destiny Thurman. You have Katia Gallegos. You have a great supporting cast. What? It's hard to pinpoint what is exactly going on with this team. And in the West Division, Steve, is wide open. And even in the East, it's not where it was before. Middle Tennessee is 7-2 and on the year. Old Dominion, 6-2. and And Charlotte at 6-1. and It's not like it was before where you have one standout team. What do you think it is? Do you think it's just like you said, players being hurt, players being out, and uh, just not having that that full complement of, uh, of ball players to work with week in, week out, like uh, like we've seen? Yeah, I think so. That mixed with uh, just trying to find their consistency because they they had a huge win against UTSA and they followed it up by those back to back losses, like we said against the Florida school. But I even go back to that loss they had against Southern Miss. That followed up their their win against Old Dominion. So. 
I, those losses right there are just puzzling to me. They need to string along some wins in a row and try to get on a on a win streak right here. They had FAU. Remember, they had FAU down big in the fourth quarter, and then all of a sudden they just came up completely short in the fourth and got outplayed uh, badly by losing that game. And then they came out completely flat against FIU. So two kind of different games. I mean, you blow a fourth quarter lead, which you look like you're in control in your first game, and then you're never in it in the second game, and ultimately it's just blowout city. Yeah, I feel I felt like that second game maybe was a hangover as a product of the first game. I mean, the first game was just uh, that took a lot of momentum out of them, and for the road swing, they just couldn't climb themselves back. So let's see what they could do here. Uh, looking ahead, they have Louisiana Tech and Marshall on the road next week. Uh, so that, that those are going to be tough games. See, actually, you look at uh, that Louisiana Tech game; that's going to be going to be played on the seventh. So quick turnaround for the Miners as as they have to play that one on Monday. Absolutely. So again. Uh, that's all going on right now locally. Uh, Monster will join us about 10 minutes from now during our final countdown. Did you hear what Phil Mickelson had to say about golf today? No, what did he say? Well, he's playing in the Saudi International, and you know he's been rumored uh, to be targeted for the yet-to-be-formed Super Golf League. Oh, I've heard about this. Okay. Uh, so here's what he said. Okay, now remember, this is a guy that's played 30 years on the PGA Tour. And he's made nearly $100 million uh, during his career. But he doesn't like the way the tour is being run, especially the way they handle their revenue and its media rights. So he was with Golf Digest this week. And, you know, here's what's interesting. The Super Golf League, unlike the PGA, they are offering up $100 million just to get Mickelson to leave the PGA. That's on the table. Um, you know, here's what he said, quote, it's not public knowledge. All that goes on, but the players don't have access to their own media. If the tour wanted to end any threat from Saudi or anywhere else, they could just hand back the media rights to the players, but they would rather throw 25 million here and 40 million there than give back the roughly $20 billion in digital assets that they control or give up access to the 50-plus million they make every year on their own media channel. Here's what uh, Lefty added. There are many issues, but that that is one of the biggest. For me personally, it's not enough that they are sitting on hundreds of millions of digital moments. They also have access to my shots, access I do not have. They also charge companies to use shots I have hit. And when I did the match... There have been five of them. The tour forced me to pay them a million dollars each time for my own media rights. That type of greed is, to me, beyond obnoxious. So, interesting, we're talking about NFTs here and how there's so much money that the tour has in NFTs the players don't own, lefties sounding off, and you wonder if the PGA could split ultimately because of this. Yeah, it could because you look at when they're just comparing it to the NBA and how the NBA worked with their players to establish their NFTs. Uh, this is really interesting, Steve, that you read this story because earlier today we got the news that Bryson DeChambeau, who's the most controversial golfer right now in the sport and maybe one of the most polarizing guys in the, in the sport as well, he was offered a hundred reportedly $135 million 
million dollars to join the Saudi Golf League as their main guy. He would be headlining that group as a, in the Super Golf League, uh, and he earlier today denied it. But a lot of people say that he was just kind of denying it to show public face that he actually was offered that. It's a lot of money. Just to put it in, in uh, reference, Tiger Woods' career earnings was uh, was 121 million in PGA Tour history. So Bryson DeChambeau would make more than that in just one signing. Well, number one, when you really start to think about the Super Golf League, uh, there is going to be so much money that they are going to throw at the best players uh, in the U.S. and and the best players in the world, for that matter. There's going to be a bunch that are just going to jump and take the money. You know that's going to end up happening when it's all said and done. And risk the lifetime ban. That's that's the interesting part about it. They will not be able to compete in PGA Tour events. At the same time, the media rights is a big deal. And a lot of these players, well, first off, I don't think Mickelson cares. He's already played 30 years on the tour. What does he care? That's why he could sound off. Sure. He doesn't, it doesn't matter to him. If anything, Mickelson might just say, screw him. And then he doesn't care about the band because he's made his money. He's established his legacy. Lefty doesn't need anything from the PGA Tour. He can make a lot of money there. You can practically take your entire career of 30 million, of 30 years, I mean, and 100 million and double it. Double it. I know. On one, on one move. That's amazing right there. And and this is a league that's backed with a lot of money. They yeah. want to have a lot. They want to have success over there. Japan's growing in the sport of golf. Same with Korea. Like there's a lot of places across the the nation that really wants to grow the sport of golf. It's going to be fascinating to see what the Super Golf League gets. It really is. All right, when we come back, Mondo the Monster final countdown. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso.